three-point range. We live, we exist as a podcast, your favorite podcast if you're listening to us, and we thank you. Uh, This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, the professor, Tim Crothers, and perhaps a special guest who might be near the professor, maybe from inside the home of the professor, right now. Yeah, we'll 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 hold that back because we like teases here on three point range. Um, but I'll start us off. Uh, I just feel like um, we're we're at a point now where we're making that transition to uh, what's all of a sudden going to wash over us here in the next few weeks. Our, our favorite sport here, uh, or one of our favorite sports here at the Chapel Hill Bureau, uh, college football. Um, week zero, just a week away. Um, and uh, if there can be such a thing as a purist in college football anymore, and I'm not sure that that is even possible, uh, but if there is if there is such a thing, man, whoever you are out there, enjoy the 2023 season. Because uh, as we all know from the news of, recent months, weeks, days, years, um, you're going to have to put 2023 in the time capsule uh, because college football is is never going to be the same. Um, next year is going to be, it's going to be bedlam. Or maybe I should say it's not going to be bedlam actually because <laughs> no Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. It's likely that's, that's done. Uh, and so many other game. Have you ever watched bed? That's probably the most overrated of all of them. Have you ever, I've watched it. I've watched it. I mean, what means a lot lot to a lot of people in the state of Oklahoma. I'll tell you that. Well, I'm not going to make my decisions based on that, but go ahead. Okay. Um, and now obviously with the, you know, the PAC 12, um, disintegrating, we lose again, just regional rivalries. I granted, you know, Washington, Washington state, the, 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 na- the nation doesn't really care, but the good people of the Apple state care. The Apple cup is no more. Um, Oregon, Oregon state for the same reason. Um, for some reason that has always been called the civil war, Civil uh, War. the civil war. Uh, I don't really, really know why, but, uh, that would appear to be no more, I, I guess, even, you know, just talking in terms of, of, uh, rivalries that aren't necessarily affected directly by all this. I'm wondering, Mike, are you are you concerned that your cushy trip to Hollywood and and uh, Notre Dame USC rivalry is going to go up in smoke? No, well that that'll never. I, I, I that's the one they'll make sure they preserve. I, I think, think that okay. one that one's pretty safe. Stanford Stanford Notre Dame needs to be convenient somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Navy. I don't think they'll ever let that one go either. Right. All right. Well, good luck to you with that. Yes. But anyway, I mean, no matter what, you know, USC can now look forward to its to its fabulous um, Big 18 rivalry with Rutgers and and an occasional trip to Piscataway, New Jersey. So that'll be fun for them. I personally am looking forward to to the burgeoning rivalry in the Big 16 between Arizona State and Central Florida. I don't know about you guys, but that that one really gets me fired up. Um, I guess all of this make just kind of makes me appreciate the, the cushy, friendly world we live in down here in, in the Tar Heel State. The ACC, wow. I mean, we just, we just, we have not expanded 
We've not made a move since 2014, believe it or not. I mean, it's just crazy to think that. But 10 years, we've just been we've just been dancing with the people that we dance with. And uh, that may continue, may not, as as you all know. I mean, Cal and Stanford have been have been bandied about as a as potential new teams for the ACC. But as it stands right now, we are just our our just our regular fifteen folks and and sticking to it for the for the at least the um, foreseeable future. And so I guess where all this leaves me for next year is I am very, very excited to become a fan of the Pac-2. I don't know about you, Vic Theo, but I, uh, I'm i excited for this rivalry. Washington State, Oregon State. I know people complain all the time that Alabama and Georgia, oh my gosh, maybe they'll play twice during the season, and oh my gosh, maybe even a third time in the national championship. Oh, Gabba. What about Washington State and Oregon State? I think we need like the Bigfoot Cup or. or I like it. I like it. I like it. The Sasquatch Cup. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, it's fake. Theo was just out out in that country. I mean, he 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 can tell you about the the absolute um, college football hysteria that it, that exists in the pack in the in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, but think about that. I mean, if it's just the pack two and they get to play twelve times. Six times in Pullman and six times in Corvallis. Talk about talk about getting the getting a rivalry fired up. That's going to be fun. So yes, I'm I'm considering um, making up some T-shirts for the Pack Two, and they'll be available on the Three Point Range website. Uh, I am going to be um, pushing the Pack Two as much as possible. Now that all that said, I remember not too long ago when fans of college football, said the sky was falling. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Texas and Texas A&M are now in different conferences. They're not going to be playing anymore. It's going to be so horrible. You know, a year later, two years later, did anybody really care that that Texas and Texas A&M weren't playing anymore? I don't know. Again, maybe that's a local thing. Uh, But it didn't seem like that big a deal. And now, look, look, looky here. The boys are back together again in the SEC. So what were we all worried about? I mean, next year, they'll, those guys will be able to play again. Was that your Jimbo Fisher imitation? It was, yes. I think I, I wasn't planning on it, but it just kind of happened. All right. And uh, what, so. did you like it? Was it good? I like all Jimbo Fisher uh, imitations. Yeah. I give points for effort on that. It, he's fun to do. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Anyway. So I guess if I'm making a point here, and I know it's a tenuous one, but if I'm making a point here, really, it's that it's that we have in the past said that the sky is falling. And oh, no, I mean, all these moves that have happened over the last 10 years, it's going to destroy college football. Who's going to care anymore? No, this team's not going to play this team, blah, 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 blah. You know what? Ohio State is still going to play Michigan. And Texas is still going to play Oklahoma. And UNC is still going to play NC State, for those of us who care about that in the Triangle area. And Harvard's still going to play Yale. All these games, that that's the game, I understand, by the way, um, whether Ohio State or Michigan, Ohio State and Michigan likes to claim it, but it's not. It's the, that's the game. All those games are still going to happen. And you know what? Alabama is probably still going to play Georgia every year in the SEC title game. And So let's not go crazy let's not 
let's not assume that come 2024, when we don't have Bedlam anymore, uh, that the whole whole world of college football is going to come crashing down. Because you know what? Next next year in September of 2024, um, you know what? On a fall Saturday, I'm still going to be watching college football 12 hours a day. And yes, there a few of the games might be different, but I think this idea that um, that the college football world is going to come crashing down, no matter what these greedy college presidents try to do to destroy our game, I think that we are still going to. I'm still going to be enjoying college football um, in 2024 as much as I will in this final season of normalcy in 2023. Um, so it's okay, folks. Calm down. It's all going to be fine. What do you guys think? Well, you went in a different direction there, obviously, than I thought you were going to go. Um, I know. I usually just go for the obvious, right? Well, but it's no, but just it, you know, I know some rivalries you're saying will still be there, but it, it feels like so many other. But I thought you were also going to go into like the whole playoff system and what our boy John Walters has been tweeting about just about every day um mm-hmm. and they're, they're good tweets and i think you know as someone that doesn't really follow college football that much i think he makes a lot of sense and um i i do think that it does feel like the whole thing's uh unraveling on them a little bit and, and a lot of what the what really has made college football special is going away but obviously you being more of a college football guy and we'll see what Barrymo thinks you don't agree you think it's still uh, wonderful. I think the playoff, yeah, I mean, the, the playoff to me is just a, a different means of grinding down to the same teams that were still, <laughs> they were still going to, you know, essentially whatever the final four teams are this year, there's a very good chance it's going to be the same final four teams uh, when we go to a 12 team playoff. So I, I don't, I don't see that as a big, a big change in college football. Wow. Wow. You were one of the people that, you know, I first think first made the argument to me that like the beauty of college football is that every week matters, every game matters, that as John likes to tweet, you know, the playoffs start the first day of the season when I do I do agree with that. I'm just saying oh, that the final thrown for do, here. Yeah, I do agree with that. I do think that that we will we will we will sacrifice the the true meaning of a lot of these regular season games. I don't change change my feelings about that. I'm just saying that ultimately when we sit down to watch the national championship game, it's still likely to be involve Alabama, Georgia, uh, and you know the usual suspects: Ohio State, USC, the usual crowd. Um, and and I still think that uh, and I still think that yes, uh, the beauty of a the beauty of a fall Saturday is is that you know these these games are a blast to watch. Now, will Ohio State and Michigan have the same meaning? No, it won't, and that that I do think is a is unfortunate, because um, Ohio State and Michigan last year would have both gotten in the playoff, and and so you know that's that is going to be a change. There's no doubt. I don't know. It feels worse than ever. Like you know, remember back when we were at UNC, and the ACC was smaller and more consistent, and and it felt like okay, we're we're trying to win a national championship, but the conference championship and and. And those conference games meant something. And don't you feel like even in the ACC, which is, has been stable, but has enlarged since we went there, 
you don't think it's been dumbed down and it's less interesting when you turn on a regular season ACC game? I think the ACC is a bad example of that because, <laughs> let's face it, uh, you know, as much fun as it is to watch NC North Carolina play NC State, it rarely has any impact on on ultimately who's going to get into the into the college football playoff. Um, you know, we're just not the ACC is too predictable. There's not enough good teams to make um, to, to make that to make the college football playoff argument. So you're you're left with just again, it doesn't matter to the people in the triangle who wins NC and NC NC State. Yes, heck yeah. But does it matter for the college football playoff? No, I don't think it does in most cases. And that's where I guess I would say even if Whoa. Ohio State Michigan doesn't matter for who's gonna mm-hmm. be in the playoff if they both are, like it's not gonna change the the local meaning no. of it obviously so in that sense i can agree with your anti-doomsday sentiments here okay Golden yes Dome, what you got what do you got, got from yeah well we're 13 minutes into this first point <laughs> uh this first elaborate thing and we want to keep this one tight i'm going to cycle back to this with a different take on this uh right. on point three uh, not exactly pure opposite, but I, a different way to view it, what's going on, and some of the absurdity of some of the uh, dance card making that's going on. So I'll save that, uh, but that's a, that's our first point. Let's move on now to the scout, uh, I suppose, with a non-baseball uh, Oh, you baseball so point. Long. Oh, it up. You all know, right. One of the reasons we haven't had a podcast. Listen up, boys and girls. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but is, you know, I was very busy around the trade deadline and, mm-hmm. and uh, moving up to the, you know, August 1st. And, and I was seeing all sorts of prospects and different players, you know, uh, from many teams. And I want to tell you guys, I'm going to, I'm going to open up here. I have seen the future. I've seen something so wonderful. You know, I saw it several times and it's going to, I think you're going to see it in the major leagues next year. I mean, that's part of what I do. I'm a scout. I try and tell, you know, what's come to the major leagues, but it's not a player. It's the challenge system for balls and strikes. And I, you know, I, no, I'm telling you, I am telling you, you know, I, I was an automatic strike zone guy and I, I, I you know, in some ways still am. I don't know if either of you have been to a game with a challenge system in place or seen it, but it is great. It is amazing. I am telling you, and I think it's definitely going to come to major leagues, and I think it's going to help baseball on so many levels. To explain what I'm talking about, like now we have the technology, you know, to see balls and strikes, you know, very accurately. Um, uh, and there's been a lot of talk about do we just go to an automatic system where, you know, the the model is is calling the balls and strikes and the umpire is just getting it through his ear and just making the signal. But there's this compromise that's the challenge system where each team gets three challenges, uh, three wrong challenges. Every time you're right, you don't lose that challenge. And if again, if you've never seen it, and I've seen it, you know, in several ballparks now because it's being experimented in the minor leagues. It is so quick, so easy, and so good. And you don't, you can't believe all the residual things it makes better about the game. I mean, for one, it it takes all the griping and, and hemming and hawing and, and and gesturing and body language and, and frustration out of it. Because, like, you got a problem? Challenge, buddy. 
You know, you think the call wasn't right challenge. And, and unlike the ABS thing, which, which does uh, kind of really dehumanize the game, which I don't care that much about, but I know a lot of people do. And I, I can see it really takes, if you're home played up, you're like, what am I even doing here? If I'm just, you know, listening in my ear and then making a call, it keeps them involved, which is important for another reason, because if the thing ever does go down, we don't want, you know, to have lost the ability for umpires behind the plate to call a strike because they've never really done it before. We want to still have them to have the ability. So it keeps that in, but it corrects the biggest thing that is to me, the biggest flaw in baseball. You know, I always think about when I would talk to a, 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 a you know, international football fan about soccer and, and, and I, I always say, God, you know, the offsides thing, we've talked about it here. It's just, it it's, can really take me out of the game or the clock or different things. But I just know that people that watch baseball have to go like, that strike zone so arbitrary. It seems so weird. And we know if we've watched a lot of baseball that it's, oh, it's the umpires are amazing. You know, who knows how often they're right? 95, 96, 97% of the time, but it's, it's so often. But that said, when a call goes wrong, a ball and strike call can be the whole game. It can swing the whole game. Forget if it's a, a third strike or a fourth ball. It just changes the count. And when you see this challenge system and how quickly they challenge and they throw it up on the scoreboard and you see evidence, everyone just goes, oh, okay. Oh, I guess it is still, you know, um, you still only have two strikes now. That wasn't a third strike. Your bat at bat's still alive, which is monumental. And, and, and it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be fun to watch that. It's going to make like all the doubt and hemming and hawing go away from the game. It's an entertaining thing, but it's also going to be fun because you kind of have a way to see all the classic, like this guy gets the calls and this guy doesn't, and who knows the zone. You'll get to see those guys that really know the zone and we'll get stats and say like, he's 40 for 40 on the year. When, when, when that catcher or that, you know, hitter says it's a ball or a strike, damn it. He's right. Conversely, the other guy, he's just always complaining and he's never right. It's going to be amazing. And I bet you, I bet you. Mike, I know that maybe this will get Mike interested. I bet you, Mike, I bet you some money what? that it will be in the major leagues next year and it's going to be great. You're going to love it. Is it is it based on is the is right or wrong based on the box that we see? Yeah, and and you know, they've obviously they've three-dimensionalized it. They, you know, there's science to it that I cannot explain, but it's not just like, you know, hey, go to the replay on your TV screen with that box. It's like this three-dimensionalized thing, you see the ball come in. And, you know, I mean, some people, the doubters will say, like, the science isn't, might be 100% accurate, like, maybe something is off, you know, with the three-dimensionality of the strike zone. But, um, you know, it's it's at least consistent. And in the games I've seen, you know, it, it, it seems to match what your eye sees. And they're like, oh, I guess that was off, you know. And and it never, like, I've never been at the game and, like, thought, like, well, the, the computer's wrong. I mean, like. That funky pitch that guy threw, there no one could hit that. Like that's not a strike, which is some people are concerned about if it's totally automatic balls and strikes. They think some guys will find some wiffle ball type pitch that can somehow glance through the strike zone. Um, but it is so obviously you've never seen it in action. You got to go. I'm telling you, it is it is legitimately great. Well, this is a favorite topic of ours here 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 in uh, in Chapel Hill Bureau. Uh, I'll let Fake Theo go go. Give his thoughts on it first. I mean, I'll make a I'll make a quick point that I think that the Cubs season, uh, which obviously is my prime concern at this point, 
is arguably still alive because of a situation like you just mentioned. And it's, it's one that a lot of people have probably forgotten about given the, the exciting moments that the Cubs have had recently. But uh, on July 21st, Cubs were playing the Cardinals. They were 45 and 51. Seemed like things were pretty much over. I'm sure. I'm sure Kimball uh, Kimball was already thinking about how the Padres were going to trade for Cody Bellinger uh, and Marcus Stroman. And the Cubs were playing the Cardinals that day. Eighth inning, uh, the Cardinals are down one run and have the bases loaded with one out. Mark Leiter Jr. facing Alec Burleson. Uh, a 3-0 count. Mark Leiter Jr. Uh, throws two outside pitches to the lefty Alec Burleson. Both horrible <laughs> calls for strikes to bring it to a 3-2 count. And then he throws another pitch right where the last two were, which shouldn't be a strike, but Alec Burleson rightly feared that it could have been uh, and and hit a weak ground ball uh, to shortstop for a, a 6-4-3 double play. Cubs win the game, end up winning the game. Alec Burleson uh, got like ran into a, in the double play, freaked out, got ejected <laughs> immediately after, so it got some attention for that. Um and that that drop, uh, that was a thirty five percent win probability swing in the game. That play, Cubs end up holding on, bringing the record to five games under five hundred, and then we all know what's happened from there. But I think, I think that's an example of the kind of horrible strike zone situation that, as you discussed, can happen in the middle of the at bat, and who knows what the that could have ramifications for years reverberating around the MLB universe because <laughs> every game was so important that right. uh, lose great. that game that maybe they trade Cody Bellinger and everything is different. You bring so. up a great point and I'm telling you this is what so one of the great things about the automatic strike zone is we all know we can't expect these guys to be 100% right but what happens now is if they do miss a call and then someone bitches because it was three inches off the zone now they almost feel like the next pitch that goes there, like, oh, I got to call it a strike again, right? Because now they can't be inconsistent. And then you have this whole thing. And now if you're a hitter, that's the hardest thing about a hitter. You might know, like, okay, he might have missed that one. Okay, but it's okay. It's only three and one now. But it's when you doubt the whole zone, an established zone. And these, the zone is so established for these guys. They played thousands of games, you know, thousands of at-bats with, with this zone. And so when you have the auto zone correction, it clears you up. You almost can feel like the ump went, wow, I guess I did miss that one. So next time a pitch is there, I'm not going to miss it again. It really just keeps them honest. And I, I think I think it's a great tool for the umpires. I, I, it, it doesn't feel like I haven't been to a game where an umpire's missed 27 in a row and he looks incompetent. Usually it's like, hey, he made a mistake and they corrected it and we moved on. Fake Theo and I watch games all the time together here. And I, I will tell you that I, my, he, he knows them. I, every, Five seconds, I'm saying there'll, there'll be a missed pitch and a, a missed call strike. And I'll just say, geez, if there was only a way to fix that, like in, <laughs> in the most sarcastic way, because I've always thought this is the stupidest thing that they let they let this happen, that they let the, these games be be turned on on balls and strike call, which, as you're, you suggest, can be made correct. My concern is that three is not nearly enough. I felt I was I, three, I've been constantly right, saying, limited, Tim. "Huh? If you're only right, if you're right, and yeah, you know what's going to happen? There are 
I, I guarantee you, having watched a lot of baseball this summer, there are at least 20, if not more, missed calls in a game. At least, at least, I think more than that. But, you know, that's and, what's, so you know what's going to happen is players are going to always think that they're wrong. No, and they're, they're occasionally going – and then it's occasionally going to be right. And you know what? In the first inning, they're going to use up their, their challenges. No, no, no. It's that's going to turn into a mess I've, because I've people are going to think oh, everything's wrong. And then – You haven't seen it in a game. That's not what happens. I've seen the three challenges, and that doesn't work. Guys, they're, they're, it's, it's great. Like, you think, well, why did he challenge there? That's not a big one. But he knew it because he was right. And, and it's amazing. I, I haven't seen a team like run out of challenges early and be screwed later. I haven't seen what you're talking about. It, it somehow has worked like because because guys only challenge when they know they're right. And then they they're they're almost always right. And then we move on. And if a guy's just wrong, wrong, wrong. And, and, and I haven't seen teams like hoarding their challenges to the end. Like you have this ridiculous situation in other sports where like, oh, you don't want to use your challenge now. And no, it, it's it's been really that's what's one of the amazing things about watching it happen in real time is the three system works somehow. Because again, every time you're right, you keep your challenge. And, and usually guys don't challenge unless they're right, which is probably what you want because you don't want like, like every little borderline call, you know, cause face it, we're talking about, you know, <laughs> you know, fractions of an inch here usually. So they challenge when they know they're right and usually they're right. And then we move on and the teams don't run out. It's been really good in practicality. That's been amazing. And, you know, if you find that three is not enough, you go to four. And but it's sort of funny because from a team's uh, perspective, you could see whatever the uh, your favorite team, you know, the Cubs could have a challenge for, and he could be like, "Stop it, stop it, Matt Mervis, you're wrong all the time. Stop it. We're we're not letting you challenge." But it hasn't seen that way in the minor leagues. It's really worked well. You got to go go watch it at a game. I bet you. I think they have it in Durham. Get there. I have a more lighthearted question. Do they do the thing like they do in tennis where like they slowly show the replay and everybody yeah. like does yeah, like it's on the it's on the scoreboard in these stadiums and it and it just looks like it does in tennis. And you know, just like in tennis, you know, maybe the science is wrong in tennis, but we've come to really buy those in tennis, right? Like when we see that in tennis, it's 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 been great. Talking about our favorite sport tennis, you know, when you see that. We don't say like, well, maybe the science is wrong for that thousandth of an inch that it was behind the line. Maybe, maybe technology is not 100 accurate, but we accept that it is that it is right. Yeah, I, I, I'm all for it, except that I I watch games and I see one ever I see batters go up and have three three missed calls on the same batter, and I just don't think that three three challenges is going to be enough. And I and that that makes me concerned. And you, I mean, obviously you're arguing against against that, having seen it, but. It just makes me think that that's gonna, that's going to, you know, encourage batters to to want to make to want to challenge things, and eventually, you know, you could just run out very quickly. And, and I, but I also don't want seventeen challenges allowed because then you really are slowing down the game. That's so. why, like, seeing it in real time has been beautiful. It's 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 neither like overly done and intrusive. It's it's it just it's so. It works so seamlessly, and that's been surprising to me because I could I could see if you've never seen it play out, you have those doubts. But that's not what happens. It it really is amazing. It's like the 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 major injustice is overturned in a second, and we move on, and it's and it's golden. Bring it on right now. I don't want to watch another baseball game. <laughs> Next year, the current the current system, it's terrible.
Mike, you done all your research ready for point three? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting there. Thank you. Uh, I was just, uh, one thing I was half listening to you fellas, but uh, I was kind of hoping that at some point, since this is uh, being tested out in the in the minors, there could be, uh, it, you know, even when they bring it to the majors, uh, you only complete yes, the process. Yes, you on it, yes, if that's your No, question. no, you should complete the, the process with the, uh, uh, one of those bat races where you got to spin around three times and then, you know, make it down, whoever gets down the line first. Why not? The whole thing's absurd, whatever you're sketching out. You've done nothing to make, to, to pull me back toward baseball uh, viewing. I tried to listen a little bit last night on the radio. I said that I, I'm, I'm on record that listening to Major League games on the radio for about four bucks a month is great, and I do it so rarely. So um, I... I, and I love the game, the purity of the game, the proper uh, aspects of the game. But there's it's just changing. It's changing too fast. Too much experimentation on the fly. And now they've even got Kimball and the other scouts who should know better sitting there saying, "Yeah, let's let's do this. Let's do that. Let's just and just it, it's um why not a dunking booth? So um you know the umpire gets five in a row wrong. How about a dunking booth? Basically, it's all it's all devolving toward Battle of the Network Stars. And, no, this and, is a great improvement if it comes. And, and I don't know. I mean, I'll take your we just had it. one of the best attendance weekends ever, or or so. Manfred wants us to believe. So uh, people seem to like Careful. the changes so far. But Careful. Well, I don't know. I mean, they've lost me. If you've lost me, if that's the that's the litmus test. That's the only one that I know is completely accurate. If you've well, lost if, me, if that's the case, then we should just shut down three-point range because we can never keep your interest for that either. Oh, we've lost it. No, I'm I'm energized here with this final point. So uh, we're gonna bring it on then. Well, first we have a little a little crossover where we remind people. Uh, we first of all we thank you for listening to three-point range, to for finding us, for putting up with us, uh, and, and our occasional hiatuses. Uh, but we're um, we were dragged back into it today here in. Uh, on the eve of week zero in college football. Uh, you can find our Facebook page sometimes that says three-point range. You can find our sub stack sometimes that says three-point range. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know all your favorite podcast locations, you know where they are. So a um, couple of things here I want to try to add. I did tease already. I've, I've given away some of the aspect of what I want to talk about. Our first point from the professor was very heavy on the uh, on the idea of the perceived ills of uh, perhaps the overwrought uh, discussion of those ills for uh, conference realignment. And uh, I just want to talk about kind of the, the, I think I've cracked the code. It's been mentioned that I think uh, it's just so inconsistent as well um, in the application. Um, and I'm talking here about AAU, not the Amateur Athletic Union that we've been aware of that's been around since 1888. And I think we've all seen some of those uh, events. And we've talked about, you know, we probably covered some of those events where uh, youth basketball in particular is, uh, is shaped by the Amateur Athletic Union. No, I'm talking about the Association of American Universities, which I had no idea even existed, even though I have a degree from one of them. We all do except for uh, the youngster, because Carolina at Chapel Hill, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, was uh, 
named an AAU member university, America's leading research universities, uh, in 1922. So we have that going for us more than a century. Um, but my goodness, what I was jotting down during the the uh, the other blather was, uh, and I'll try to keep my blather to a minimum, is that uh, Late. you're made of, well, no, I think I'm doing just fine. There's 38 <laughs> public universities that have achieved this, this distinction of AAU membership as a leading research university. There's 31 public universities and two Canadian. Um, nobody's asking for McGill, which is a fine university. I believe Pat Gillick's daughter went there. Or the University of Toronto, Please. which is a sprawling campus. They have both been around since 1926. Uh, I'd like to see uh, those uh, jump into the American fray somehow, to the to the uh, U.S. fray. But um, pop them into the recast uh, Pac-12. But um, no, I, I just I'm fascinated by these. The, there's been some, uh, you know, this thing's been around for a century and a quarter, and yet in just the past year, new members, fresh new members of the AAU. Uh, that uh, the Big Ten is so uh, protective of the fact that only Nebraska is part of the Big Ten without that AAU membership, and they're they're over there trying to make you know some things happen. And I'm surprised Warren Buffett hasn't uh, paid for some special research uh, to get them uh, uh, you know, fast track. But anyway, Arizona State, I think we can all agree, not exactly uh, a research university. I think John Walters even not. But the aforementioned could explain that that's more of a party school. He's had to teach some of the, the fine uh, Arizona State people. They're in They're in now. They're in the AAU. They're also in the recast Big 12. Um, University of Cal Riverside was put in in 2023. Not sure why. University of South Florida, keep an eye on this. We're not here. We're not talking enough about why University of South Florida was fast-tracked for no good reason into America's uh, Ivy-accepted research universities. And then you have uh, George Washington University was popped in there. Yinka Dare gave a big donation. University of <laughs> Miami. University of Miami. We're talking about Coral Gables, not the one in Oxford, Ohio. Um, so they, Donna Shalala pulled the right strings. Notre Dame, <laughs> after all these years, after a century and a quarter, Notre Dame, out of the blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're okay. You can come on in to the AAU in 2023. Also, Washington University in St. Louis, which is an actual fine university from what I understand, but doesn't care too much about the big-time sports. Uh, that initially, when Notre Dame was welcomed in, everyone was like, well, that means Big Ten next stop. Uh, no, that hasn't proved to be the case yet, but the idea that, um, that the AAU Association of American Universities is somehow shaping all of this uh, movement in the, the uh, university alignment, the Power Five, who, who makes the cut, who doesn't, who gets to play for national championships, who may have play, access to playoff money versus research money, federal research money. It just, it's just, it's odd. We talked earlier in the first segment about Oregon State and Washington State being among those left on the outside. Also, uh, they happen to be non-member universities. They have not been welcomed in to the special 71 universities that are AAU members. So perhaps that has something to do with it. The Big Ten said, come on over uh, to Oregon and Washington, which have been members going back to 
1969 for Oregon and Washington 1950. The SEC, it'll not surprise you, is uh, a, a Vanderbilt aside, um, and maybe one other, it's, uh, it's missing, uh, 11 of its member universities are uh, not part of the AAU, and I don't think they really care down there in, uh, in the South. The, the Big 12, the ever-blooming Big 12, uh, among those who don't make the cut there, Houston, Cincinnati, the newbies, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Central Florida, newbie, West Virginia from the previous round of expansion. Also, Baylor, BC, BYU, and TCU are not uh, AAU, uh, fancy president-approved research university. So they're just fine over there. Your, your mark world, uh, with the, the, they obviously know how to position for a future in big-time college sports. But the ACC, let's get back to that. Um, and this whole idea of where will Notre Dame with its 2023 just brand-new golden ticket into the AAU, will it end up using that at a place that values AAU membership highly, which would appear to be the Big Ten, I still say Notre Dame doesn't join any conference until the very last moment when there's no other alternative. They, I still don't see it happening. I think they're going to get a huge increase in the NBC deal. But the a, the ACC, where Notre Dame uh, positions all of its non-Olympics or its Olympic sports, its non-revenue sports, as well as plays a, a, a schedule of four or five games every year of uh, mostly gimmies on the football field, well... The ACC is still harboring unserious universities such as Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, NC State, <laughs> Virginia Tech, also Wake Forest, Syracuse, and I'm sorry to report, Boston College. Boston University, fake Theo, where my daughter went, uh, is on the AAU. She's a graduate, uh, a proud uh, graduate of BU. But Boston College, not in there. So you something you might want to bring up when you get back to Chestnut Hill and you guys can get a petition going or something. But that's stunning to me that the ACC, the uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the uh, half of the ACC, more than half, I don't know how they rank it anymore, but uh, it's uh, it's not part of this this thing, and you always think the ACC is so proud of its academics. So you hear this this talk recently that the ACC girding itself for uh, Florida State and Clemson to bolt, and then that's where you get this talk about Cal and Stanford, Notre Dame, even on record now, Jack Swarbrick on his way out the door in six months has publicly said yes that he pushed for. Cal and Stanford to join the ACC makes no sense geographically, but on this AAU list, they're on the good they're on the good list. But you know who's not, and shouldn't be, from everything I understand, Southern Methodist. So Southern Methodist also being lumped into this ACC expansion. So Tim telling us that everything will be just fine and we'll just go right on. But these are these are very odd alliances that are forming where it's a bastardization of they're trying to lump academic rigor into this uh, legit research universities. And I, I'm telling you, this whole list is flawed. The AAU list, I think we've proven it. 
Texas A&M is on it. It has it. Um, and yet, we've already laid out that Boston College, Wake Forest, etc., uh, not part of it. So, did you guys ever, had you ever heard of the AAU, this version, the pointy no. head version, until about no. a year ago? No, I'd never heard of it until you just mentioned it. Really? So, I've, I've read about it, and obviously, I feel like I have to comment on this. Yeah, uh, I would say that, from what I can tell, the AAU is very focused on, on like, research funding, and some excellent schools like Boston College, also Georgetown, another example I'm noticing. Uh, I don't think many people would dispute that Georgetown is a, a very top institution, but these some schools like that are uh, are more focused on undergraduate experience than uh, than graduate research and pouring all their money into that. Um, so that that would be the defense I would offer uh, for for why places like. BC, Wake, Georgetown are are uh, not looped into this this quite arbitrary group of, of the AAU, I would say. Um, and, and that leads me into my vision for the ultimate outcome of this this college football realignment. Here we go. So, this is this is what it's all about. So picture this. Three point range solving another problem in sports. It's about to be solved. Here we go. I don't have a I don't have a great name for this conference yet, but picture this. Cal, Stanford, Rice, Northwestern when they get kicked out of the Big Ten, Vanderbilt when they get kicked out of the SEC, Duke and Wake when they get kicked out of the ACC, Georgetown, Boston College, and joining this like-minded community of schools in the new best conference out there, there will be no choice but for Notre Dame to not join the super conference <laughs> so there you go believe it or not absurd talking a few years mm -hmm. because that's few years over under on how many years what how many years is all that happening fake theo two and a half two two and a half yeah by the time he graduates from boston college they will be in this conference i need a name for it but mm -hmm. it, it's happening yeah it solves so much. All of the, all of these, uh, you know, all these problems that I brought up early on, we've just solved them. The, all these schools that have that are are not in the right place that that are sort of the the ugly ducklings of their conference and really are should be the pretty ducklings, but they're not. Exactly. Uh, are are all going to find a home together and live in harmony? And once again, three point range has solved. Uh, another thorny issue in sports. So there you go. It's done. Book it. Okay. So, uh, Kimball, are you rejoined us there? Did you, uh, can you, can you, uh, did you hear anything that needs to be uh, ex expanded on or perhaps corrected? Oh, he's been muted. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. there he is. Let's see if he's been unmuted. He's still talking. <laughs> this is the best. This is some of the best uh, Kimball material we've had in a month. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, he's he's gonna. I don't think he's going to. I think he's so. writing something down. This is this is the oh, point. Oh yes, this, this is the Woody page. This is this is the level we've now reached on three point range. Kimball, are you writing? You can unmute yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that's that's fine. All right. So that's uh, that's our show. That's our show for this week. Uh, always, always. Are, are, wait, are we going to wait till Kimball shows us what he's writing? This I, might be a very salient point. Oh, he's putting something. He's he texted us something, and uh, let's see. We're going to open this on live. You mm -hmm. won't be able to hear me, other computer, and that's where we're going to have to leave it. Uh, that's, that's he texted me. Thing. He thinks that the, the Boston College Notre Dame wake idea is brilliant and it will solve the problems of the world. So there you go. I'll just say that Another going, back, going back more than three decades, the great Ron Morris, uh, former, one of my, you know, he was my boss at the Durham Herald Sun, has worked now in Tallahassee and in, in, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. This is a man who's crossed the SEC, ACC borders numerous times in his journalistic career he had the idea going back to the 80s it was very simple at that time just trade clemson for vanderbilt just swap out clemson for vanderbilt it once at one time it would have been that simple to have the schools that cared about to at least some extent the academic side of things and those who were just playing professional sports wrapped in uh academic close and and uh now it's 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 gotten way too sideways and uh, actually i think chip kelly had an interesting idea he said, chip kelly just said just throw them all into one big basket and uh you know 64 of them and and that's and they'll just fight it out that way and schedule however you want forget the conference thing and just you know just find the best 12. it's um it's frankly depressing the whole thing is depressing what would keith jackson think at this point um, oh, he would uh, he would not be pleased um and that's uh, that's what we're thinking here in in uh third week of august 2023 well, us down. i started I, I started us off on such a high and you really brought us down i thought yeah. i thought maybe we were gonna gonna give people something to look forward to in college football but that's just that's brutal yeah university of buffalo fellas university of buffalo is an AAU member university, All right, Turner, Turner Gill, uh, Boston College is not. So uh, good luck this semester. Fake Theo and uh, get the petition rolling for uh, the professor, for the scout, for the professor's son. Uh, this has been Mike Berardino. This has been Three Point Range. We'll see you next time. This one was for the trucker. Always a pleasure. Thank you.